glad you're here tonight and uh, looking forward to, to what the Lord has for us in his word tonight. So I would like you to take your Bibles and I would like you to find the uh, in, in, um, revelation tonight, revelation in your Bible. We're continuing where we left off last Sunday evening and the topic is, is, is God done with Israel? Is God done with Israel? And we've uh, spent some time looking at Bible passages showing us that God is not done with Israel. Prior to what those who hold to the doctrine of replacement theology, um, God's not cast off his people Israel. God, they still have a, a, a plan and a purpose in God's uh, future in eschatology. Now, we spent some time last Sunday night looking at the Abrahamic covenant and showing through the Abrahamic covenant how God promised and blessed that land would be Israel's forever. And that has not changed. That's an unconditional promise. Uh, we've uh, went through the scriptures and, and uh, looked at other places, uh, showing again in the book of Romans why the book of Romans also teaches that God is not done with Israel. And... Uh, what was Paul's greatest desire? What did Paul want the most is for Israel to be saved. He said, I would rather have myself accursed. That's a powerful statement to make. I don't know if I wish that for anybody. I'd rather go to hell if all my kinsmen, all my Jewish brothers and sisters would come to faith in Christ. You think about that statement for a minute. And since it's inspired scripture, it must have been true of Paul's heart. And so he wished for Israel to be saved. He wanted Israel to be saved. Who did Paul always want to go to and, and talk to first about the gospel, but to the Jewish people? But God had taken that Jewish man and, and sent him to the Gentiles and to reach the Gentile people with the gospel. But he always had a place in his heart for the Jews. And who did the Jews hate the most? <laughs> but the apostle Paul. And they persecuted him as often as they could and, and jailed him and imprisoned him and and uh, tried to kill him on several occasions and eventually did end up taking his life as he was beheaded in prison. But his goal and his love was for the Jewish people that they may come to understand that Christ is their Messiah. Why don't you understand this? Why don't you see this? And, and when you read the book of Hebrews, and if you are of the persuasion that Paul wrote that book, um, you, you can see the, the, the heartbeat of the, of the writer trying to convince the Jewish people of why Christ is the Messiah. How, 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 do you, how do you miss this when it's so right there in front of your face? It's like the statement, you know, I can't see the forest because there's too many trees in my way. I, we told somebody one time, we're going to drive down through the Shenandoah Valley. The mountains are beautiful, and we're driving through the Shenandoah, and they're like, well, where's the mountains? I'm like, they're right over there. Well, I can't see the mountains because they're covered with trees. I'm like, well, this is not the Rocky Mountains. This is the, this is the Blue Ridge, and they're, they're beautifully covered with trees, but they're mountains nonetheless, and they're beautifully covered, especially this time of year. As you make your fall journey through there, it's absolutely gorgeous, the colors that God has set in array. And so as, and, and according to the Abrahamic Covenant, according to Romans, uh, God's not done with Israel. Now, when we jump into eschatology and we look at the book of Revelation, we get to something that, again, we see who is God going to use to bring the gospel into the world. And so let's pray. We'll make our prayer, and then we'll get into our message tonight. We'll try to get you home before 11 o'clock. Amen? Amen? 
just making sure you're all awake out there. All right, so let's pray. Father, bless the time, bless the hour now. Thank you that we can be here. And uh, bless the word. Give me the wisdom uh, of the Spirit of God to know what to say and how to say it. And say only that which must be said. For we ask and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, uh, uh, let me uh, give you a timeline without giving you any visual here. In eschatology is the way we understand what's going to happen. And eschatology is a big fancy Bible word for the study of the future. And the Bible is the only book, by the way, which tells you what's going to happen in the future. The Koran has no future prophecies in it. Because what happens when you make a prophecy and it does not come to pass? You're counted null and void. You're disqualified. So the Bible has prophecy, which always has come to pass. So when we look at prophecy, we look at what's going to happen in the future, there are th several things. And what's the next event on the calendar uh, as we understand it? And that would be what we call the rapture of the church or the catching away. The day that Jesus Christ, when the trumpet will sound, and all the dead in Christ shall rise first, and we who are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. So the dead will rise and the Christians will be taken out of this world when the trumpet of the Lord sounds. We do not know when that day will happen. Don't try to predict it. Don't try to set dates as so many phony in the past have done. We do not know when what we call the rapture. And that word rapture does not appear in the Bible. That's not a Bible word. So how can you preach something that's not a Bible word? Well, the word Bible doesn't appear in your Bible either, so we, but yet we still use the word Bible. The word rapture is just a term to describe an event. And the Bible may use the phrase, the catching away, where the dead in Christ, those who've died in the past 2,000 years with Christ, and, and no matter where they're at, and then those who are alive at that point in time will be caught up. That's the rapture. And after that, when that rapture takes place, when all saved people go home to be with the Lord, at that point in time, there will not be one Christian on the face of God's green earth. Every person that's left on the earth at that point in time will be lost and will not know Christ. Every person is lost. You understand, there's not a saved person left on planet earth. So what is God going to do? Does that mean God does not care for the rest of mankind? No, God is going to do something. And when that rapture takes place, uh, soon right after that will begin what the Bible calls the tribulation. Jacob's trouble, which is a seven-year time period. And that seven-year time period is broken into two parts. The one part of the first three and a half years and then the second part, which is the second three and a half years. During that tribulation, the, 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 there will come to power a one-world government uh, based in Europe out of the what we call the revived Roman Empire. Remember the Babylonians were conquered by the Medes and the Persians. The Medes and the Persians were conquered by the Greeks. The Greeks were conquered by the Romans and nobody conquered Rome. Rome merely fell apart. And the book of Daniel talks about how that Roman Empire will be revived once again in a ten-nation confederacy under the leadership who will rise to power very quickly, a man that God calls Antichrist. Now, we do not know who the Antichrist is. I was talking to a preacher friend of mine. He went to a church pastor's fellowship the other day. It wasn't Baptist preachers, but he went there for 
reasons I don't have time to go into, but he says that these preachers all began to pray, and they're all asking God in this prayer meeting, they're all yelling and screaming, asking for God to unveil the Antichrist. I don't want to know who the Antichrist is. I have no desire to know who that man is, and he just might be alive and well on planet Earth right now. But he does not become the Antichrist until the tribulation begins and until Satan possesses him. Then he will become the Antichrist. But that man could be very much alive right now, and he'll lead that ten-nation confederacy. And so that will be for seven years. The last part of Daniel's 70th week will come to pass. Now, you say, what's this got to do with Israel, with God's known with Israel? Remember, there's no Christian on planet Earth left. The only people left on planet Earth are lost Gentiles and, and lost Jews. And so what, what is God's plan for evangelism? Because God's heartbeat is evangelism. God wants people saved. Even during the tribulation, God wants people born again by the Holy Spirit of God. And so how is he going to do this? What is, the, what is the method of getting the gospel out around the world? Well, again, if we take our Bibles and we're looking at Revelation, Revelation kind of goes in, in order. The first three chapters deal with the church. Chapter number four, we have the, the rapture take place, and five and six take place in heaven. And then finally, in, in chapter number uh, uh, six, we have the the, uh, the the seal judgments, and we see the, uh, the the horses of the apocalypse there. We won't have time for that. But he says in chapter number seven, in verse number one, after these things, I saw four angels standing on the four corners of the earth, holding the four winds of the earth, and that the wind should not blow upon the earth, nor the sea, nor any tree. And I saw Another angel ascending out of the east, having the seal of the living God, and he cried with a loud voice to the four angels to whom he was given to hurt the earth and the sea, saying, Hurt not the earth, neither the sea nor the trees, till we have sealed the servants of God in their forehead. It's interesting here how he says that God's about to bring judgment, but before he does that, he's got to put a seal upon the mark of his servants. I thought you said, well, there's nobody saved at this point in time. Well, there's not. But what's going to happen is that God is going to raise up some people. They're going to be saved, and God's going to put a mark. And where's God, God going to put this mark in their forehead? Right there in their forehead. God's going to put that mark in their forehead. Now, by the way, it's interesting. The Antichrist is going to put a mark, or Satan's going to put a mark on his people. And where's that mark going to be? On their right hand or their forehead. But God's going to put a mark on his people. It's funny in the book of Ezekiel. God talks about putting a mark on his people in Jerusalem. God knows who belongs to him. His sheep are marked. And the devil cannot get to God's sheep. God will take care of them. Now, he's going to put this mark upon his servants. And he says in verse number 4, And I heard the number of them which were sealed, and there were sealed a hundred and forty and four thousand of all the tribes of the children of Israel. And he goes on to list there the tribes, and 12,000 men are, are called out of each tribe of Israel. Now these 12,000 men from each tribe, totaling up to 144,000 men, will be saved people. They'll believe, these Jewish men will believe that Jesus Christ is their Messiah, thanks to the two witnesses that God sends. And these 144,000 men will be responsible for evangelizing the rest of the world. It's their job to go out and preach the gospel 
to the planet Earth. Now, of course, preaching the gospel to planet Earth is going to have consequences because the Antichrist is not going to like that. He doesn't like any competition, and so there's, only, there's a one-world government. There's also a one-world religion at this point in time, and the world will be worshiping the Antichrist. My friends, always be careful of worshiping a politician. Don't ever lift up your politician and think, this guy has the answer to everything. You're, it's the same mentality they're going to have in the tribulation. Look at the Antichrist. I mean, this guy can do it all. He's the greatest thing ever. Uh, stop with that. Stop putting any of these politicians up there on, on some pedestal and thinking they, they got all the answers. They don't. Because this is, a lot of what's going on is spiritual. And spiritual cannot be fixed with physical things. You cannot fix spiritual with money. You know, let's fix the problem, but we'll just need to throw more money at it. That's why our public school system is an absolute disaster, because it's a spiritual problem. They always keep throwing money at it. I enjoy talking to our public school teachers here in this church. Pray for them. But you can't believe the absolute craziness that goes on in the public school system in this country. And so in verses number 4 through 8, he talks about these witnesses, these 12,000 of each tribe who goes out, and that's their job is to preach the gospel. And he says in verse number 9, After this I beheld and lo, a great multitude, which no man could number of all nations and kindred and people and tongues, stood before the throne, before the Lamb, clothed with white robes and palms in their hands. And who are these people? Who are these people that now all of a sudden we see that are robed, but they're also dead? Well, these are people who get saved because of the witness of these hundred. These people come to faith in Christ. And what happens when you come to faith to Christ, with Christ during the tribulation? What's the Antichrist going to do to you? <laughs> He's going to kill you. Now, and, and according to the Bible, there will be a great multitude of people who will come to faith in Christ during the tribulation period. Untold numbers will come to faith. And when we talk about a one world government, remember, it's kind of a misleading term in the sense that, again, not the whole entire world will be part of this government. Asia is not going to be part of this government. But it's, it's that revived Roman Empire over there. And what happens in this continent and, 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 and South America and, and other parts of the world is still yet to be seen. But the world, for the most part, will be controlled by that one world government of the Antichrist. You know, if the United States was to collapse tomorrow, uh, it would have a devastating effect around the world in its global economy. And it probably shake the world to its core and, and have a financial collapse around the entire world. If the United States was to collapse, if a country in Europe was to collapse, it would hurt a great deal. But it would not be globally devastating. And I'm not lifting up our country to be something great, but we are a great power in the sense of our what we do and our money and what it does and, and what we finance and what we back up. And, and if something bad was to happen to this, it would shake the world and cause the world to say, you know what, we need to come together with a leader and they'll pick an antichrist. And so this massive amount of people coming to faith in Christ, how does God do that? Well, my friend, he uses 144,000 Jewish men to do that. Jewish men. They're not Gentiles. They're not Gentiles from New Jersey. God's using 
Gentiles. So God's using Jewish men. And of course, the location of these men, where they're actually located, we don't know. But God knows what tribe every Jew belongs to. God knows that. And God will use those men to preach the gospel. So these, these evangelists will go out and, 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 and make a massive turnaround in the world towards Christ. And, and their job, by the way, is as Jewish men hoping to reach Jewish people. You would think your own people would listen to you, but it's obviously not the case because the Jews still will, in, in, in a blinded mode, will not accept Christ. I'd like you to take your Bible tonight and find, if you will, the book of Ezekiel. Find the book of Ezekiel, and we'll see what Ezekiel has to prophesy about and what he says concerning Israel and the future. Ezekiel chapter number 36. Now there's a lot goes on in chapters 36, 37, and 38. Everybody wants us to go into chapter number 38 and chapter number 39. It talks about the battle of Gog and Magog and, and what all that entails, but we're not going to even touch that at all. We want to see chapter number 36, which is a prophecy about the nation of Israel. And again, at this point in time, the, the, when Ezekiel writes this, he's, he's being carried off into captivity. Israel has been captured, and the Babylonians have burned the city to the ground, and, and Ezekiel and Jeremiah are contemporaries. It's, it's very well possible these two men actually knew each other, conversed with each other, talked with each other, but they're both very godly men. And while uh, Jeremiah stays in the land of Israel, Ezekiel is carried off into captivity. And, and while he's being carried off, he, God is using him to write scripture. And God lets him see the future. Of course, these godly people, these godly Jews, are devastated about what has happened to their nation. I, I, I don't want to understand. I don't want to live through the collapse of a nation. I can't imagine what that must be. It's always devastating. And, and it's, bad things happen anytime a government collapses, no matter how big or small it is. It's a very difficult time for a long time to come. And so these people are carried off into captivity. And God's encouraging him by letting him know that, listen, I'm not done with Israel. I still have my hand upon you guys. And even though you're carried off into captivity, it may seem like I've forsaken you, but I have not. I'm still watching over you. You're being punished for your sins and disobedience, but I still have my hand upon you. And he says in verse number 17, Son of man, when the house of Israel dwell in their own land, they defiled it by their own way and by their doings. Their way was before me as uncleanness of a removed woman. Wherefore I poured my fury upon them with the, the, for the blood that they had shed upon the land, for their idols wherein they had polluted it. Now again, God's talking here about the present. He said, now listen, you people were idolatrous. You were shedding innocent blood, and they were. It was, it was a they were killing their, their babies, sacrificing their babies to the gods of, uh, of, of the Amorites and, 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 and uh, different gods. There was uh, woods set up where human sacrifices were being taken place. It was these Jewish people who knew better, yet they were sacrificing their, their babies and, and human beings to the different fake gods of the Canaanites. So God says, I've, I've, I'm going to scatter you in verse number 19. I scatter them among the heathen, 
and they were dispersed through the countries according to their ways, according to their doings. I judged them. And when they entered into the heathen, whither they went, they profaned my holy name. When they said to them, These are the people of the Lord. They are gone forth out of his land. Now again, he's telling again how these people still in their arrogance and pride as they go into foreign countries, they're still not looking to God. Verse 21, But I had pity for mine holy name, which the house of Israel had profaned among the heathen, whither they went. Therefore saith the house of Israel, Thus saith the Lord God, I do not this for your sake, O house of Israel, but for my holy name's sake, which ye have profaned among the heathen, whither ye went. And I will sanctify my great name, which was profaned among the heathen, which ye have profaned in the midst of them. And the heathen shall know that I am the Lord, saith the Lord God, when I shall be sanctified in you before their eyes. For I will take you from among the heathen and gather you out of all countries and bring you into your own land. Now again, here's a piece of prophecy that has not come to pass yet. Some people thought this referred to them coming out of captivity after 70 years, but that's not the fulfillment because many Jews still stayed in the foreign lands. It wasn't up, a hundred years ago, you can go to Iran and Iraq and you can find a very large Jewish population in those countries. Why is there no Jews in Iran and Iraq today? Because the extremist Muslims took over and basically chased all the Jews out of there. But you, the Jews were still there because they were still leftovers from the Persian Empire and the, and the Babylonian Empire. They thrived and they did very well. And they went around the world. Why are Jews here in this country? Because they're thriving and doing very well. Why should we go back to Israel and deal with that? Well, we've got a wonderful thing going right here. So the Jews are still dispersed to all four corners of the world. You'd be hard-pressed to find a place on planet Earth where there is not a Jewish population. They're everywhere. And so again, God says he's going to someday bring them into their own land. He's going to gather them from all around the world and bring them back to their own land. People say, well, that's 1948. No. 1948, they became a state for the first time in 2,000 years, which is kind of a, it's a miracle, by the way, because no nation ever went out of existence and came back into existence. It just it never happened. So 1948 was a miracle of God, but it's not necessarily the fulfillment of Bible prophecy because, again, the Jews went back to Israel for the most part, who were in, his, in that part of the world. Jews who were here said, you know what, we like it here, we're staying here. Why should we go back? But God says he's going to bring them back one day. Again, so is God done with Israel? No, he's made a promise, I'm going to bring you all back into your land one day. And he says in verse 25, Then will I sprinkle clean water upon you, and you shall be clean from all your filthiness, from all your idols, I will cleanse you. And a new heart also will I give you, and a new spirit that I will put within you. And I will take away the stony heart out of you and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and keep my judgments. My friend Israel, that's not yet. That means that they're going to get saved one day. They're going to believe God. That means they're going to come to faith in Jesus Christ one day. They're going to understand that they're going to get rid of that stony heart and give it a heart of flesh, which means they're going to, it's a saved heart that believes and accepts the gospel. But that has not taken place yet. The Jews that are in Israel today and the Jews that are all around us today are still blinded and still worshiping without blood 
and do not accept Christ as the Messiah. They're not saved. But are they still Jewish? They're Jewish by birth, but they are not Jewish in the sense that they are completed Jews, that they believe God. They're still lost. They have not been gathered together, but God makes a promise that he's going to bring them together one day in Israel, and they'll all get saved one day. That's going to happen. And he's going to, verse 27, I will put my spirit within you, and he calls you to walk in my statutes and keep my judgments and do them. And so as opposed to what they're going through right now. Now Ezekiel's writing this down. He's thinking, well, this is great. Someday soon we're going to come back and everybody's going to believe and love God. And he didn't understand that that prophecy would take thousands of years for God to fulfill because God still has not fulfilled that promise yet. When will God fulfill that promise? That promise will be fulfilled at the end of the seven-year tribulation when Jesus Christ returns. And according to the prophecy of Joel, where God will pour out his spirit upon all flesh and, and every Jew will come to faith in Christ and believe when they see Christ return at his second coming. The rapture is not the second coming. That's an invisible catching away. The second coming is when Jesus Christ returns at the end of the seven years and, and, and actually lands on the Mount of Olives and goes into Jerusalem after defeating the Antichrist and his armies. That's the return of Jesus Christ. That's the second coming. That's what the Bible's referring to. So don't try to make second coming prophecies the rapture. They're, they're two different events. So again, at, at this point in time, the, the hardened hearts of Israel in, in Romans chapter number 11 and what we see in chapter number 36, it, it's not, it hasn't happened yet. God has not fully redeemed his people. But for the sake of what we're talking about, we're seeing God is not done with Israel. If we go to chapter number 37, interesting vision here that he has, that Ezekiel has. And he says in verse number 1, The hand of the Lord was upon me and carried me out of the, uh, in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the midst of a valley which was full of bones. And he caused me to pass by them round about. And behold, there were very many in an open valley, and lo, they were dry. I'm sorry, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, thou knowest. Can you imagine that vision? You're taken to a place, and all you see is this valley, and it's filled with skeletons. Very dry skeletons. They've been rotting in that sun. There's not an ounce of flesh upon the, uh, the sinews or joints anywhere. Everything's gone completely, just dried out, bleached out bones. Every insect, the sun, everything's done his number on. They're just dead, dried out bones. He says, by the way, God calls Ezekiel son of man. That's his name for him. Son of man. And uh, these bones live. And Ezekiel's like, well, only you know that, God. <laughs> I can't answer that. And God does something. And he says in verse number four, and again, he said unto me, prophesy. That word prophesy means to preach upon these bones and say to them, O ye dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus saith the Lord God unto these bones, I will cause breath to enter in you and you shall live. And I will lay sinews upon you and bring you up flesh upon you and cover you with skin and put breath into you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. So I preached, I prophesied and I was commanded and I prophesied and there was a noise and, a, and behold a shaking and the bones came together bone to bone. And when I beheld, lo, the sinews and the flesh came upon them, and, the, and skin covered them, and, but there was no breath in them. How would you like to hear that rattling around? 
<laughs> you talk about a rattle, amen. All them bones begin to shake. And <laughs> if any of you have a skeleton phobia, you wouldn't want to be here, amen. We had some girls in church years ago used to have skeleton phobias. It's like, you, you know you have a skeleton, don't you? you? You have one of them things. We all got a skeleton in us. As long as it stays on the inside, I'm, I'm, I'm okay with that. And so all of a sudden, these skeletons all begin to come together and grow flesh, and, and, and they're, they're human. And all these human beings are standing there. The only problem is there's no breath in them. They're just like mannequins, so to speak. It was like when Adam was first made. And God created him and stood there. And what did God do? Then God breathed into Adam, and Adam became a living soul. And then God, Adam became alive. So you have this valley full of thousands upon thousands of bones. Now all of a sudden these bones have flesh upon them, and they look like the, uh, human beings. But yet they're just standing there with no life in them. And he says in verse number 9, saying to be prophesied unto the wind, prophesy, son of man, say unto the wind. Thus saith the Lord God, come to the four winds and and, oh, breathe, and breathe upon these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood upon their feet, an exceedingly great army. Look, so now, again, now everybody's alive. What's the purpose of this vision? What's he trying to show here from a valley of skeletons now to, uh, to, uh, to basically just corpses standing there? Now it's everybody's alive, this massive army. What is... What's he showing us here? Who are these people? Again, in verses 1 through 14, there is the, the skeletons. And in verses 15 through 23, he talks about the, the sticks. The word of the Lord came unto me, Moreover, thou son of man, take thee one stick and write upon it for Judah. And for the children of Israel, his companions, take another stick and write upon it for Joseph, the stick of Ephraim, for all the house of Israel's companions. And join them one to another into one stick, and they became one in thy hand. And he, he goes on here in verses 23 talking about these two sticks. Remember, what is the purpose of the sticks? Well, the sticks represent the nation of Israel that was broken up into two parts. Remember the southern kingdom, the Davidic line, and then the northern kingdom. And remember the northern kingdom was carried off by the Assyrians. And then later on the southern kingdom was carried off by the Babylonians. And God's saying, take the, the nation of Israel, which represents two sticks, and bring these two sticks together, and it becomes one stick. He, he's saying, I'm going to take Israel, and I'm going to make it one nation again. They won't be no longer divided into two nations. Now they're going to become one nation again. And what the bones represent, really, is the nation of Israel, how God is going to take a people that have been dispersed and for all intent and purposes dead, and bring them back together and, and make them alive. And he says in verse number 14, And, and shall uh, put my spirit in you, and you shall live, and I shall place you in your own land. Then shall you know that I am the Lord have spoken it, and performed it, saith the Lord. And he makes the promise here that someday you're going to go back into your own land. You were once dead and, and, and as, as, as skeletons. But I'm going to speak. And, and a nation will, will come back. And you'll be in your land. Not only will you be in your land, but every single one of you will love me. And every single one of you will know me. And every one of you will believe in me. And Israel has never done that. Even when they went back to the, to the land, 
What did we learn in the book of Nehemiah? And what did we learn in Ezra? That there were Jews in that land who did everything they could to oppose Nehemiah and undermine Nehemiah and Ezra and to stop their work. They were godless Jews opposing godly Jews. It's like Jews today who, we're a Jew for Palestine. We're a Jew for Gaza. What, are you out of your mind? You out of your mind? <laughs> I don't understand these people. You, you understand, lady and, and sir, if, if, you, if we were to take you and we were to place you in Gaza, they would throw you off a roof immediately. It's the only democracy in the entire Middle East, and you got these people out there protesting against it. I like to take some of these women out there who are pro-Palestinian, which really is pro-Hamas, pro-terrorist organization, and, 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 and we put you five minutes in Gaza, and you wear what you wear, and talk the way you talk, they'd either burn you or throw you off a roof. That's a fact. And I saw one guy waving rainbow flags, you know, homosexuals for, for, for Palestine. Listen, dude, don't you understand what they do to homosexuals in Gaza and the rest of the Muslim world? Don't you understand what they do to you? You, can't, you don't have freedom. Israel will ha allow you to have freedom to do those things, but Gaza and the Muslims, no, you're what? Throw them off the roof. I'm sorry. Oh, preacher, that's so mean. I'm just, that's, that's what happens. Those are facts. Ladies, try going outside in, in Gaza without a head covering. And I saw one lady do it in Saudi Arabia, and they put a bullet in her head in a video. Because she dared to go outside. And she dared speak without her husband's permission. And they dare try to get an education. And they dare try to wear anything except the burqas. And they end up getting killed. That's what happens over there. So this, this crowd running around saying, hey, we're pro-Palestine. No, you're, you don't understand. You have no clue what you're talking about. You really don't. But Israel there, and Israel today, is still not a saved people. They're not saved. They're lost. They're just as lost as the Muslims are because they do not have Jesus Christ. So when Ezekiel prophesies and he's, he's given this vision here of what's going to take place in, in, in chapter number 37 in verses number 24 through 28, he talks about their shepherd who's going to take care of them. And he says in, in, in verse 24, And David, my servant, shall be king over them. Now, again, it's not David per se, but David's son. Who is that? Jesus Christ. Shall be king over them. They shall have one shepherd. They shall also walk in my judgments and observe my statutes to do them. And they shall dwell in the land, as I have given unto Jacob my servants, wherein your fathers have dwelt, and they shall dwell therein, even they and their children, and their children's children forever. And they shall, and my servant David shall be their prince forever. Again, it's the idea of the son of David, ruling over them. And Christ someday when he returns, what's his purpose? Is to usher in the Davidic covenant and to have a 1,000 year reign in Jerusalem. And so Israel will be saved. They'll enter into that millennial kingdom with Christ and Christ will rule from Jerusalem. It's going to be a wonderful day one day. You say, what about... Us, where do we come into this picture, preacher? You see, when Jesus returns, we return with him, and we'll rule and reign with our Savior. After all, the church is the bride of Christ, and, and, and a good husband doesn't go anywhere without his bride. Amen? So we'll be with Jesus Christ the entire time while he rules 
over Israel. Israel's one thing, the church is another. They're two separate entities and one never becomes the other. Israel, the church never inherits the promises of Israel and Israel never takes over the promises of the church. They're two entirely different entities. And I stress that all the time because people stare at me and well, I, I think the church is taking over Israel. Like, you really don't read your Bible, do you? you, 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 you you've listened to some moron on the internet, but you've never actually read your Bible. You know, reading your Bible will straighten you out for a lot of bad preaching you hear. <laughs> and just keep staying in your book. And so God, what, what's your problem? My, my point is God's not done with Israel. God's going to do something because this prophecy has not come to pass. And God made a promise that he will take those dry bones and put flesh upon them and put breath in their lungs and, and, and he will give them a spirit that loves him and, and he's referring to Israel, what he's going to do with the nation of Israel again. And so God makes these promises all throughout our Bible. And there's a lot of promises in our Bible concerning what God is going to do. So again, the meaning of all these texts is Israel will not only re-inherit the land again, a, a prophetic event that, again, we're seeing in some cases with the, them there, but it's, it's, 1948 is not a fulfillment so much of Bible prophecy as, as maybe God just getting the table set, so to speak. You mean, what's going to happen to the Jews in Israel today? I don't think they'll be wiped out because, again, they're still God's people and that's still God, they're still, still their land. Just pray for them because this, is, this thing's going to get ugly. We're already seeing the world go against Israel right now. We got kids in New York City shutting down Grand Central Terminal and, and, and other places trying to, with their pro Hamas marches. You know, by the way, if, if I was the dean of a college student, if you're out there and you're protesting, some Jews had to hide themselves in a library last week in a college in New York. Did you see that? They locked themselves in the library while those Palestinian protesters were marching or banging on the windows, let us in, let us in, let us in, and, and some were screaming death to Israel. And the librarian, get this one, the librarian told the Jews, maybe you guys should hide in the attic. No Jew, no Jew, nobody should have to hide anywhere in this country from anybody. Them students all need to go. If I, you got video cameras, find out who they are, you're dismissed. Your, ten, your time here at our college is done. And by the way, if you're a foreign student here on a student visa, and, and, and you're out there pro-Hamasing, you, you, your visa's expired, you're going home. Go march over there. But we, you don't do that. That's what I would do, but since I'm not, I'm just a little old pastor here, I, I, I don't have that power, and our politicians don't have the the fortitude to do that. But a lot of people will be going home tonight, I guarantee you. So again, the Jews, and we see what God is doing here, and God makes a promise. And, if, and thank God, in the book of John, it says salvation is of the who? Jews. Salvation is of the Jews. Where do we get our salvation from? It came from the Jews, our Messiah. So when God decides to raise up some witnesses in the tribulation period when there's no Christians on planet earth to spread the gospel, God will raise up who? Jews. 
So again, what's it go back to? Salvation is of the Jews. The Jews will spread the gospel. Saved Jews will spread the gospel around the world, causing multitudes to come save, be saved. Now again, in conclusion, we, wanna, we can be here for the next couple of weeks with all this, but since God is not through with Israel, and since God has a huge future plan for Israel, it stands to reason, based on the healthy fear that all of us should possess a, uh, for, for what we find in Genesis, that God stands with Israel. I will bless them that bless thee, and I will curse them that curse thee. And any nation that has ever cursed Israel has never, you can go visit their cemeteries around the world today. No nation ever cursed Israel has risen to power ever again. You say, well, Egypt is still there. You know, why do you go to Egypt? Can I be just brutally blunt? Why, do you, why would you want to visit Egypt? What's the purpose? You're going to look at what? The past. You're, go, you're looking at the past. I want to see the pyramids of Giza. I want to see the Nile. I want to see what once was. I want to go to Greece. Why, why, why do you want to go to Greece? Well, it's beautiful. But what do you want to see? You want to see what once was. You go to Rome, by the way. Why do you go to Rome? By the way, you can get better Italian food here in New Jersey than you can get in Rome. I've, I've never been there, but I've talked to some people who've been there, and they say it's better here. But, and, and, I'm, and I'm not talking Olive Garden, okay? So don't get me wrong on that one. But because right, that's not Italian. We're not sure what that is, but it's not Italian. All right. I like the breadsticks, though, but it's just uh, it's, it's microwave food. Now, why do you visit where you're going to see the Colosseums? You're going to see what once was. And by the way, there's going to be a day when people come to this country to see what? What once was, because it's vast. It's quickly falling apart if you're not paying attention. Every American city is absolutely in chaos right now and decay. It's just the way it is. It's sad because we've turned our back on God. And so when a nation turns its back on Israel, God judges them because I will bless them that bless thee and I will curse them that are cursed thee. And God, while he's dealing with us, the Gentiles, still has his hand on Israel. Many times people have been talking to me and somebody, I've been talking to somebody and somebody else comes over and, and they, they have to say something. So this person I'm talking, originally talking to begins to walk away and I usually put my hand on their shoulder and say, no, I'm not done talking to you yet. Come stay here while I deal with this conversation right now. Okay, all right. Okay, good, you're good. And so, okay, okay well, we want to continue this conversation here. What has God done? <laughs> I do that to Naira all the time. Now, I'm only kidding. What has God done? God has his hand on Israel saying, you stay here. I'm not done with you. I'm, I'm dealing with these people right now. And someday I'm going to turn my attention back to these people, and I'm going to take those skeletons, and I'm going to make them alive and bring them into the land where my son Jesus Christ can rule and reign over them for a thousand years and bring that kingdom that Israel has been anticipating for all these many years to come. Let's stand together for prayer. Father in heaven, we do thank you for your goodness and mercy. We thank you for Jesus Christ who loved us and has put his hand upon us. We're thankful for salvation that's found in Christ. 
available to all men, all women, everywhere around the world can be saved today. We thank you for that. And Lord, we do pray for our, uh, the Jewish people. Even though they are blind and, and, and living in unbelief, yet they are still the seed of Abraham. It's possibly them or their children who someday will see you when you return and you put breath upon their flesh and give them a heart of flesh that believes and loves you and wants to serve you. So help us, dear God, to be compassionate, to witness and share Christ. We ask and we pray.